it's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Today, my guest is Steve Stratton. He has worked for the White House Communications Agency and later served as a Green Beret from the 1980s through 2000. Shadow Sanction is his second novel. Steve, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem at all. Now, Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about your Shadow uh, series? Because I know the first book was Shadow Tear, and this one is Shadow Sanction. Uh, let my audience know a little bit more about it. Sure. So the first book is, uh, I, I'll just be honest, I took the easy route as an author and wrote a re revenge book. So there was really one thing <laughs> on my protagonist's mind while I was writing that. Um, and yeah, I could have done a bit more character development, but first book, <laughs> I was pretty happy with it. So my protagonist is on vacation for the first time in a dozen years with his parents down in Mexico, like Puerto Vallarta. They're driving back uh, Route 15 to Tucson, his parents' house, and they stop for lunch at a, a place a Mexican army friend had told him to stop. Good seafood, and they love seafood. So Mm -hmm. They stop. They stop in this place, and uh, unfortunately, um, uh, the owner of the restaurant skimming money from the Sinaloa cartel. Uh oh. Goes, oh yeah, it goes downhill after that. There's gunplay, and Lance and his stepfather, who's you know a Vietnam vet, step in, and and uh, his father passes away in the event, and uh, his mother is injured, and then later the cartel goes after her in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And that starts his um, real spiral down and, and need for revenge. So Lance is not without resources. He's a contractor, military contractor, and starts bringing his National Guard buddies into it. And he might be misusing some government, <laughs> government equipment and funds, things like that. But he starts going after the cartel to the mm -hmm. point that the... Uh, the military decides, wait a minute, we either need to court-martial this guy or start a new unit to go, you know, execute that drug war full-time. So that's how the book starts and the series starts. That's 1998 and book two, we're now in 2003. So we've still got the Sinaloa cartel running hard, doing what it does. But now we've got the war in Afghanistan, we're post-2001. And right. the president says, I need you to stop the opium. It's funding the Taliban, which it was to the tune of $400 million a year in mm -hmm. 2003. So I, I make use of that, what was going on there. And then also in the book, um, I recreate the French connection. Uh, Popeye Doyle is not in this book, <laughs> right? but uh, we end up in New York and it's the new French connection trying to make a deal in New York and Lance gets in the middle of it. My protagonist, Lance Bearwolf, who's Crow, native Crow Indian, gets okay. in the middle of it and creates havoc for the cartel and uh, stops the event. So it's an exciting book that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to put the plot lines together as I was writing it. <laughs> it takes place on the Crow Reservation and uh, some in Mexico, 
Afghanistan, Marseille. Um, I'm very much uh, inspired by Tom Clancy. So mm -hmm. uh, there's been a Rainbow Six uh, going on because they start a new squadron in England to uh, help uh, prosecute the drug war throughout Europe, things like that. So it was really a fun book to write. Um, many of the places I'd already been, you know, and uh, could draw on my experience uh, when writing that. Right. Well, it sounds like a couple of really exciting novels. Um, it said that you told me earlier in the interview that you didn't really spend much time in the first novel doing a lot of character development. Um, how do you, how did has your writing process change from that first book and all of the um, feedback and praise you received from that one into writing this second book? Did you already have the second book written or did it, did the results from the first book influence the second one? Um, I went, uh, so my, um, when I was lucky enough to land uh, a contract with Force Poseidon, the publisher, um, there, he had a backlog and said, mm -hmm. hey, it's going to be a while before I can publish. So I kept writing. Mm -hmm. So when I came back around to this book and the fact that it's been a couple of years um, of, of going to conferences and, you know, like ITW and yep. And now I'm uh, headed to uh, ButcherCon and stuff like that. I've learned so much about writing and the things you need to do about setting the scene and things like that. I really, it wasn't a rewrite, but let's say it was a very heavy edit to bring that sure. to just what I know now today. And um, and I, I appreciate that from my editor. He's not giving me any slack. And um, I really appreciate that because I need to take what I've learned and apply it. And, and sort of make it part of muscle memory, which it is now. Right. And, um, I even had enough time to get most of the way through the third book. And um, I'm going to have to go back and do the same thing in that book, take a heavy edit to it and, and apply, you know, just standard techniques and, keep, you know, what I've learned. And right. uh, yeah, it's one of the nice things about coming into writing is I just I love to learn new things. I read everybody else's books, uh, mm -hmm. including yours, and I learn things all the time that you know I might not pick up at the conference. But it's like, oh, now I get it. Okay, I see this, or uh, you know how how you write deep deeper scenes, you know, um, more visually, all those kind of things that are beyond just telling a story, right. one note, sort of one note bland kind of story to bring bring in um, not only tension, but like say the character development, you know, what is, what makes Lance Bearwolf and his teams click, you know, is it just beyond sense of duty, things like that. Right. Yeah. And it, and it, something you just said really resonated with me. It's, it's a different way of phrasing something I've been telling writers and, and people who ask me about writing for years and that's muscle memory because, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that you can attend conferences and you can read all these books about writing, but you know what? It's not something that you necessarily can learn. You can learn some of the stuff like character development, story arc structure, but it's, it's the actual doing of it that is going to teach you the most. The experience is going to teach you the most. And I think that, that term muscle memory is, is a really great way of drawing that comparison because yeah, that's I what you need in order to tell stories. 
Exactly. And I can line it back up with my time in the military or learning my new role. When I switched from being a communicator at the White House to the Secret Service, I was not, as, as we used to joke, I'm not an agent. I wasn't an agent waiting in the hallway to get shot. Um, I was actually <laughs> on the technical side doing alarms, video, bomb, EOD kind of things. And, and the alarms and video wasn't so new, but that whole EOD and bomb detection, I had to make that muscle memory so that when we went out on advances that I was getting the right kind of things done for the protection of the, the protectee, whoever it might be, the president, vice president, Kissinger, whoever, so. Right, yeah, yeah, and I would imagine too that uh, in that role, just like in, in writing, when you get down the basics, and the basics are important, uh, that it allowed you to focus on other things that, yeah, you had to do, thinking outside the box is really cool, but I used to work for a railroad, and the president of the railroad once said, yeah, think outside the box, but we have to do a lot of really important stuff in the box as well. So I think once you get a lot of that down, and that becomes muscle memory for a writer, then you can start looking up, out at all of the other aspects and different techniques and stories that you read from other people and bring it into your own, right? Absolutely. It is. It allows you then to add value beyond the things you need to get done every day. And um, interesting story. I was lucky enough uh, when President Carter, during the 1980 campaign or the 79 into 80 campaign, uh, he decided he was going to go on a riverboat and and do some campaigning, and he was going to do a train stop kind of FDR kind of thing, and I got the train. So I got trained on trains at Fort Eustis, and oh. think, talking about being outside the box, it's you know I'm I'm used to looking at elevators and buildings and walkways, and now I've got this locomotive and the cars, and you know, uh, it was really really interesting learning about that. And actually, it paid off because later on, when I got into technology, I ended up with the, the guys out of um, uh, Florida and uh, that railroad. And I actually knew their lingo as a, a software guy. And, and they, they found that hard to believe. But <laughs> the, yeah. railroads, the railroads are amazing. They, they, people just don't understand how much they move, how much goes on there. Uh, it's, the, it's still... The you know eighteen wheelers yeah there's a lot of those but nobody moves freight like the railroads do so no no and pe yeah people don't understand that they just get annoyed when the gates come down and they can't cross the uh, tracks for a couple <laughs> of hours when one of those big ones rolls through but you know what everything that's in your home probably came either by rail or by truck or both so it's uh, right right it's, it's definitely a di and and also too I think that. It was interesting for your writing career because you you came from the White House, you were in the military, then you, you remained in the military, and then you were in the special forces. But then while you were in all of those, both of those assignments, you got to see subsets of other things outside the military, I'm sure, like the railroad that you just mentioned, because it's, and it allows you to see, you know what, it, 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 it's outside of my sphere of influence, but there's still a whole world over here that uh, has its own rules and makes sense, like railroad gauges, why they do things, consist, things like that. And I would imagine that as you were becoming a writer years down the line that you are now, those probably stuck with you, didn't they, those experiences? Absolutely, and it was sort of funny, the timing that, that I experienced 
and got trained on some training on on locomotives and cars and such there at Fort Eustis while in the Secret Service. But as a, a Special Forces National Guard person, I learned how to uh, blow up pieces of track later. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> you know, and it's funny because the move, the first thing they show you when it comes to uh, that kind of training is this old World War II OSS film about how to take out pieces of track, right? And and what right. the OSS did in France and things like that. But those are the kind of things, all those, all those um, interactions, those trainings, those learning new things that were sort of outside what I was doing too, or where I was headed in, in software, that kind of cyber cybersecurity software, mm -hmm. those all are great things for, for writers, right? I mean, right. It's just having a, a rich level of experiences that maybe are not down your, you know, your mainstream everyday job or, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, main interest is, is where, you know, you can bring in things that are uh, interesting and hopefully add to the story, just not weird <laughs> facts off to the side, right? So, yeah. Right, exactly right, exactly right. Now, I know that you're a novelist and with all of your background, I'm always curious is about, is about why someone like you wrote fiction instead of maybe historical novel or nonfiction, um, something along those lines. What was it about fiction that won out for you? Well, um, the inciting incident for the first book happened in 1993. My parents were on vacation in Puerto Penasco, right at the top of Baja, just over mm. the just over the line from uh, Arizona, right? And um, not too far away from their house in, in Southern Arizona. And uh, when um, some Sinaloa cartel drug traffickers must've been doing the product. Anyway, they, they hit, they wrecked with my parents, had a wreck with my parents and drove them off the road and stuff like that. And so wow. uh, that's it, the writing um, that happened in 93. And I did, I did storyboards because I was used as to as a government contractor to, you know, writing bids for to win government contracts. And so you always storyboard your, what you're going to present to the government. So I knew right. storyboards. I did PowerPoint picture slideshows of just sort of what I thought as a as as just a way to sort of help myself heal over the anger of losing my mom in that event. And um Finally, you know, in like 2019, my wife's like, why don't you just write? And I'm like, I don't know how to write. She says, well, you're the best storyteller in the family. Why don't you just start typing? You right. Know? And so um, that that uh, fiction became a way to um, essentially not have Steve invade Mexico for real and get himself <laughs> killed going up against the Sinaloa cartel as well armed and trained as I might be right know, so, so stupid solo mission kind of stuff so fiction was a way fiction I could say in a, in a sense uh, saved me and probably my brother's life but uh, better to write a book than to actually uh, cross the border uh, looking like uh, you know some lost members of the expendables so <laughs> yeah I was just gonna say you mean you're a green beret you couldn't parachute in and kill 50 guys all by yourself at night I mean, that's the thing that I think, too, you probably face that 
when you when you published out two novels is that people have this idea that special forces people are these super soldiers that can do anything and it's it's quite the opposite you you know your limitations any soldier or naval person or airman i'm sure knows their limitations but especially you you have to you're expected to plan for it you're expected to be above everyone else in, in terms of execution and bringing that plan off whether it's a an advanced team uh, of checking out for the president or all the way up to something far more serious. So you get that. And it must be quite, it must've been quite jolty for you to see what people's expectations were as opposed to the reality you portray. Right, I can, I can joke about uh, using the dust in, in a warehouse full of uh, narcotics to write, make it blow up like a, a grain elevator. Mm -hmm. uh, I know a lot of interesting techniques, let's just say. But the reality of being there and being present, and what you what you just said is really the key. Team, right? I yeah. was on I was on a twelve person uh, special forces A team. You know, when the SEALs talk, that you talk about the SEALs, but you're, most of the time you're talking about the SEAL teams, and it right. is about team, right? And uh, yeah, there are times when you go on solo missions and things like that. But look, I'm. I'm definitely no gray man. So but, right. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 not gonna that's not gonna happen. And uh uh that allows me also to bring in other people, the team aspect, right? Other people I've right. known or consolidate people. Uh I mean, uh, it's I, I've got a, a rich collection of stories of very interesting people I've met over my career, worked with. And or even today, um, nowadays, I still uh, work as a range safety officer at the local range a couple, okay. couple afternoons a, a week, uh, just because I get to collect co characters. And things like right. That. Yeah. I could imagine. Yeah. I would imagine, <laughs> especially in that world, you get some uh, some very interesting people uh, that, uh, that go to those places. So you never right. have to run short of inspiration. That's why I always tell people who live in New York City. There's no, there should not be such a thing as writer's block or lack of inspiration. Because all you have to do is go to the corner, observe the first five people you see, come up with ideas in your head about who they are, and you've got yourself the start of a pretty good story or a novel. Exactly. Which makes it really interesting, you know, with your writing and, and going back in time into the West. And um, I understand why, like, HBO does Deadwood, right? Mm -hmm. got this great story they can build this fictional not so fictional town with not so fictional characters but they can add any color they want to it and, and that's mm -hmm. why like i think new york is like way above every other any other city in the world for stories films and things because we all believe all that can happen in new york right it's yeah. very possible in new york yeah so. Yeah, it definitely is. And a lot of things and it also has a, a rich history uh, as well, but it's a recent history. It's not as old as London, obviously. Um, and it doesn't have the, the necessarily the panache of dreams like Los Angeles does. But, you know, they have Broadway and, and they have a rich political history. And, and that's the kind of stuff that I try to delve in in my 1930s novels and then later with my thrillers. Um, when you decided to write thrillers, did you get a lot of people popping up and say, you know what, this fact is is wrong. This fact could have been different because when I wrote my my university series, the first, and this was several years ago, I had uh, them have a cell phone where it 
scan their face and their thumbprint at the same time to let them get into the secret parts of the apps on the phone. I got so many people telling me that'll never happen. The, the phone, you can't do that with a handheld device. You're ridiculous. That's just a jump the shark for me there. And I said, they're doing it in Asia. They've, they've got them there. Nokia had something at the time. So what I had done was research informed my, uh, my fiction. Now, do you ever get people saying, oh, well, you know, maybe you could have done this better or a little bit, uh, you know, something with the, the weapons or something with the tech. Yeah. Along those lines. More, more, I keep, well, the first book I had to keep, I keep reminding myself it's in 1998. So we didn't mm -hmm. have a lot of that. <laughs> the, the book, the book I'm working on right now in a different series is, um, is, uh, in today, so I don't have to worry about what I'm thinking about tech wise and other things like that. But, right. Yeah. When you go back like that, people people will nitpick. You know, wait a minute. The the uh, the HP calculator X Y Z didn't come out until <laughs> you know, and it's of course you know it's about it's about as big as a uh, five you know two five by nine cards or something. Yeah, yeah. So th there's a little bit of that. I'm pretty good on making sure I get those those. Um, uh, details, right? Um, right? But I've also learned that, um, like from people like Brad Taylor, it's like, okay, tell them it's a SIG 226 the first time and then just say, you know, Pike Logan drew, drew his pistol. You don't have to right. keep saying it over and over again like that. You know, it's not a, my first book has a little bit of special forces planning methodology. Well, it turns mm -hmm. out that, uh, uh, a couple of years ago, I was down at 10 Special Forces in Fort Carson, and they don't do any of that stuff. We used to go in what they were called, what was called isolation for 96 hours to plan out the mission, brief it back to the commander and get the okay. We're behind the bob wire and all this kind of stuff, getting intelligence. No, right. they're just like in their team room. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're ready to go. Load the kit. Let's go. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> So, so yeah, you have to be careful, you know, if you're getting deep into that. I do stretch the the bounds of tech a little bit. Um, the like in the first book, I had some technology that was never actually put in a, on an Army Intel intelligence uh, platform card called the guardrail. We mm -hmm. thought about it a lot, but we never put it on. But hey, in the book, I put it on there. So somebody wants yeah. to argue about you know whether it was there or not. If there's really a seat in the back of the plane or not for my guy to sit and twiddle <laughs> right. with the GPS information, whatever. <laughs> there's got to be some literary license someplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's silly. You you mentioned a, a little while ago that you're already working on another novel. Uh, can you tell us anything about it? Is it part of the series? Is it a standalone? Is it a new sure. series? Yeah, it's a new series. Um, so like I said, I've got uh, the second book, uh, Shadow Sanction comes out August 30th is mm -hmm. published date. Um, and then I've got that third book done and I'm like halfway done with the fourth book where, where my protagonist is chasing uh, uh, El Chapo, who's still not in a Florence, <laughs> Florence Colorado Supermax prison. Right. Uh, but he's, chopping, he's, he's chasing him around Cuba. So that's the Shadow Tears series. And I started another series I call Snowman, uh, and I'm I'm working on that. And uh, the protagonist is a deaf uh, female psychiatrist uh, for the agency, the CIA. And Ooh. 
she's also got uh, she's not like a full albino, but there's a there's a pigmentation issue with her eyes and and her skin that she can use pills to to manage. But anyway, mm-hmm. she wants to be a she wants to be a field agent, but the agency won't let her because she's handicapped. She's challenged. Whatever mm-hmm. you know, word you might want to use, and so uh, in that series, an, an event pops up where. The vice president says, you need to go get my daughter who was kidnapped in Colombia. Um, mm-hmm. You know her best. You need to be part of the team. And we're going to team you up. She's a psychologist. We're going to team you up with right. one of your patients who you have to keep saying because he's the best at personnel recovery. He's just a little crazy. Right. Um, so that's that's been fun writing and, um, you know, gives me um, something interesting and different to look at. Uh, while I while I work on the Shadow Tear series, I love Shadow Tear. I'm bringing it up, you know, book by book, 2003, 2006, 2009, trying to bring it up into the into the future more, so I don't have to worry right. about the tech and stuff. But uh, yeah, so we'll see how long Shadow Tear can run. I'll keep working on that, and uh, I like writing so much that I think I can do two books a year. Right. Uh, yeah. And right. Uh, still still be able to uh you know with with uh help from friends like james apt and and other people you know make sure i'm doing what i need to do to to promote and market and things like that yeah james is fantastic as we said before we hit record he's he's one of those people in publishing a lot of people do a lot of talking but james actually delivers on everything he's going to say and uh and, and does and he constantly follows up with you he's he was, he's been a great help to me uh, over the last year or so. And uh, he just, uh, you see it for yourself. You see the, in the engagement rise, you see uh, people, more people learning about your books. It's, uh, it's important for writers to have somebody like that on their side. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't, I, I'm not sure how I could do it without him. Yeah. So. Yeah. He's fantastic. So what is the best way that people can keep uh, following you and your career as you as more and more of these books get published? Uh, your website, social media presence, things like that. Yeah. Um, so uh, Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, Stratton, USA.com is my website. And, and that's where James uh, helps me so much is keeping that up to date. Uh, right. You know, and I would let's say to folks that... Um, you know, if uh, we've still got it going on, we've got a great art giveaway with badges, coins, uh, different mm-hmm. things like that. But the grand prize winner of my art giveaway, I'm actually going to bring to Denver and take them to a uh, Broncos football game. So I'll pay for their flight out, their room and board, and uh, we'll be sitting in the 19th row right in the middle of the field. It, it, the tickets couldn't be better. So Wow, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to reward my uh followers and uh it's i've got from being in the secret service and as a contractor i've got millions of air miles so i'm like hey, here's a here's a great way to use some air miles and my wife and i can still travel and and uh so yeah that's fantastic well steve thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and i know my audience learned an awful lot about you and i bet they're going to be looking forward to a lot of great stuff from you in the future thank you for having Really appreciate oh, it. No, no, my, my pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in for another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thanks for stopping by. We'll see you next time, everybody. Take care. 
You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.